Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of A Pod Divided here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, very much Everything School HQ, with yet another big-time road win for the Tennessee Volunteers, where, let me check my notes here, yep, Dalton Connect had another 30-plus point game uh, for Mm. the Tennessee Vols as he looks to uh, be the National Player of the Year in college basketball, so... um, all things orange all the time and to talk all things orange all the time on this very show it's my good friend fellow university of north georgia alumni matt green down there in tequila georgia matt good evening sir how are you yeah i don't know about that intro but i'll uh, i'll give your boys some love for sure that dude can uh can absolutely fill it up uh tennessee's pretty dangerous georgia almost had a, a pretty crazy comeback uh in the swamp i guess it's like i saw that called it the oat they so someone explain this to me. O'Connell <laughs> Center, they call it the O-Dome, right? That's what I always grew up with. Mm-hmm. And it's now it's Exec Tech Arena, Exact Tech Arena, whatever, on the baseline. Mm-hmm. But it still says whatever see O'Connell Center on the sideline. So is it is it the O'Connell Center or is it the Exec Tech Exact Tech Arena? I need answers. I was confused the whole game. But uh, but no, Georgia, yeah, had a had a last second or was able to tie it up late and uh, couldn't win it in regulation, lost in overtime. But yeah, well, at least they're playing you locked in. You're watching these games every week now because Georgia's got a competitive basketball product. I like these it. Days. So you're locked in. Um, there you go. I like it. Maybe this baseball season will have you um, talking college baseball too. Uh, you never know. See, it's fun having year-round stuff to be interested in, right? <laughs> There you go. It's pretty fun, Matt Green. It's pretty it, I see it's it's around the time I would automatically be trying to get into college basketball. Uh just because you want to have a little bit of a clue when March comes around, you know, what you're watching. Um, mm. but yeah, it definitely makes it easier when when the dogs are are competitive. Mike White almost uh got the victory over over his former employer. He he did. Um, uh, but Matt Green. 
this episode, we uh, we're in the the thick of the off season now. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, his replacement was announced uh, since our last recording. Uh, Sharon Moore uh, gets the full time job as expected. Um, we'll see who remains on the staff because you do lose the elite DC and Minner um, who will follow Harbaugh to the Chargers. We'll see who else. Um, I'm assuming Jay, his son makes the jump and a couple others, but um, interested to see how uh, Moore fills out that staff and uh, how he does replacing a lot of NFL dudes and good pipeline, everything else, but um, not a lot. Tim Lester getting the OC job at Iowa. Um, We have that. There's a GM battle that I think is interesting that a lot of folks like you got to really be in the college football uh, in the weeds to know about Austin Thomas and the battle of uh, his uh, his work behind the scenes. And he's just a good player personnel guy. He was one of those first early GM types in college. Well, that's becoming more and more common at uh, major power two universities and stuff. Uh, so he goes back to uh, LSU um, was there a couple years prior. I would want to say uh, started in Tennessee. I think he went to Tennessee uh, but he's been with Lane and been instrumental with Lane Kiffin at Old Miss uh, doing work uh, on the recruiting trail um, and getting that program uh, both in the portal and all across the board humming over the last couple of years. So a sneaky, interesting loss. And then LSU's he went to LSU because LSU's Redmond, who I believe uh, this is what I'm saying. This is really in the weeds here, but he goes to Auburn, I think, to be chief of staff. The, the titles are different. I, I, I'm not 100 percent on the different titles, uh, but it's kind of an interesting battle behind the scenes that I always keep tabs on is who's going where and those kind of sneaky now important positions at big time universities is player personnel guys, G- they, GMs of sorts who help with the scouting, help with the roster management, help with um, the portal. Cause there's just so many moving parts that you kiss. It just, it's not a, uh, just a coaching type of job anymore. You got to have a lot of off the field, uh, big time assistants who can who can help and uh, Thomas is back at LSU which is a huge one for Kelly and Redmond to uh, Auburn's a big one for Auburn uh, and we'll see what Lane does at, at Ole Miss in the in the short term but very interesting stuff to monitor here in the SEC yeah I'll let you uh, I'll let you monitor the these uh, these decisions in the, in the weeds down there uh, but yeah I mean that's always I mean that's basically been what being a head coach has been for a while because I think that's what separated Nick Saban, not his X's and O's and his and his scheme and his philosophy, but it was just his ability as a CEO to just have every aspect of the program, you know, running, operating at, at top level at all times. And, you know, even he couldn't deal with everything going on uh, with college football these days. He had to, he had to, to retire. So who knows what, what programs are going to be the best at, you know, like just navigating these waters no absolutely i mean uh i would just highly encourage the the college football fans uh listening to this very program just keep up with that like that's going to become a bigger bigger thing uh, in college sports as we grow and grow and grow and we'll see what happens with the money aspect but like you you want a good gm and uh he austin thomas has been regarded for many years as uh, one of the best gms and um from football scoop which is a great site that i love uh the work that bryce and company uh john bryce and company do over there so I'd highly encourage college football fans to bookmark uh footballscoop.com if you've not already done so they do great work um but he said quote thomas was a right-hand man for lane kiffin at old miss 
where Thomas helped schedule non-conference games for the Rebels, worked to help negotiate assistant coaches' contracts, and was critical in roster management, NIL endeavors, and a myriad of administrative elements. Um, he was also previously on staff at LSU, and he spearheaded the move to hire Will Redman uh, away from Kansas. Redman, of course, is Football Scoop's reigning top personnel executive and is departing LSU to become general manager at Auburn. So see, like he's going to Auburn to be the quote-unquote general manager, but the title for Thomas at LSU is um, Senior Athletics Administration slash director, director Role, where he will report directly to the LSU AD, Scott Woodward. So um, just some little things to, hey, just keep an eye on. So when LSU is, uh, they just got another top 25, uh, top 50 recruit today, I want to say a corner. Uh, just if you see LSU just bulking up a little bit more and uh, it's just, hey, Guys like Austin Thomas are really, really valuable, and you want to have good personnel folks uh, in your athletic department uh, to keep this thing humming because there's just so many moving parts uh, for college football coaches these days that who you hire uh, to run this and help you and assist you, like you said with Saban, is just so critical because it's not just Saban. It's all the power powers that be. Um, there's just a whole lot of folks that, you, that are important and critical to a high-functioning operation at the SEC level and at the power two right now i'm still calling it the power four all right i can't do it we, so, we know it's not a power four the acc is still a legit conference i mean it's it didn't get worse put it that way like the acc it, it was already a step behind but still the, the new power tv four. deal man it kicks still in the power this year. four to me damn it it's the power two matt like we had the college football playoff it was four it was two big 10 teams and two sec teams like it's it's just where it is like you can't win a title in the big 12 anymore maybe the ACC, because if you we'll see, we'll see. No, I mean, did that. you see the? I think the Big 12's number one recruiting team this year was UCF, and they're like, "What? Where did UCF finish?" We saw and TCU play for a national title two years ago. That was when it was a four-teamer, man, and they didn't win. They didn't, but I'm just saying, never say never. They very we'll, much didn't we'll win. See, we'll see what happens. All right, I mean, not we'll leaving see. them for dead. I haven't, I haven't given up on uh, Oklahoma State and and in the Utahs of the world. I mean, I haven't given up on them either. I've just given up on them beating Texas, Bama, and Tennessee in a three-game <laughs> playoff scenario. Uh, I just, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's feasible. Um, but yeah, speaking of, be tough. speaking of the college football playoffs, sir, I thought this would be a fun exercise. SEC Sunday here on uh, this edition of the program. We obviously specialize in the SEC being a pod divided with Tennessee and Georgia. Matt Green. I wanted to do some sleepers here because I've been thinking about schedule because ACC came out this last week and looking at different schedules and thinking about who will make the playoff because I'm listening to different college ball shows and cover three does a really good job. And they're talking about like, if you're nine and three SEC team, you're making the playoff was something that was said on a show I was listening to this week, which I thought was interesting is like you, the bar to get in for a top 15, because you're going to be think about it. Like if you're nine and three and you have a strong, strong resume, you're going to be somewhere in that top 15. I don't polls. think that's an accurate statement, though. I mean, look at look at the this year. Like, I don't know what the exact seedings would be, but we know they have these automatic qualifiers uh, that come with it. So it's not mm -hmm. just straight up the top 12 teams. Missouri right. was 10 and two. What were they? Number nine, number 10. Like, they would have gotten were, in. Yeah, they would have gotten in. But I'm saying if they had a third loss, I don't I don't think. What was LSU? They were nine and three this year, mm -hmm. right? They were probably like 15, 16. So I think they would have gotten in. So it'll be close, but they're, they're not gonna, getting in. No, no, they're not. They're 15, 16. They're not getting in. No, no, no. They're not doing it just based on what was the, the CFP rankings, though. 
where were they in that? Yeah, that's it's, what I'm saying. LSU in the, the AP final poll. polls. The, in LSU in the final, let me pull it up, in the final uh, CFP ranking was number 13. Yeah, so they're in. No, they're not in. 13, do we not think so? It's a 12-team playoff. What do you mean? 13's not getting in. Well, I, I, I guess I know what I'm saying is, and especially number eleven and number twelve might not get in because you got like Liberty or somebody stealing up spot, and and someone else like that, like that's not in the top twelve that's taking an automatic qualifier. Like that's gonna happen, and so those teams like eleven and twelve are gonna get pushed out. Like those bubble teams in Sibley tournament, when a when a dark horse wins wins the conference that wouldn't have made the the NCAA tournament. Like that always bumps those bubble teams out, you know? So I feel like it'll be that kind of scenario. So I don't see, like, you look at this year's rankings, Oklahoma was 13 or was 12th at, at 10 and 2. So I, I just, I don't think you're going to see three lost teams. Like, I think you might see it happen here and there, but I don't think it's a guarantee at all. Well, I don't uh, think it's a guarantee, but the fact that your season's not over at nine and three at the end, depending on what your quality wins are, yeah. is kind of huge for fans that are like, man, that sucked. We lost to Florida early or whatever. Like, here's the amount of SEC teams that made the playoff last year that would have made the 12 teamer Texas, Bama, Georgia, Mizzou, um, Old Miss, and Oklahoma. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. I think, um, it's, You're it's just going to have a lot of SEC teams in the playoff every year. So I, I just... think nine and three, I don't think it's nine and three. I think 10 and three can get you mm. in the playoff. So like a year, like, like a 2017 Auburn mm. where they have a bunch of good wins and, and they just played a ridiculously tough schedule lost in the conference championship game. So a 10 and two regular season that you lose that third conference championship, mm. that team might not necessarily get bumped out of the top 12, which could be a good thing. Yeah, but I think it's going to be tough for that nine and three team that didn't even play for a conference championship. But yeah, we'll see. I, it, it, it'll take a, some crazy seasons, and maybe we are. Maybe we're going to see a lot more, a lot fewer un, unbeaten one loss teams with some of these conferences uh, stacking their schedules a little bit. So I mean, there is that possibility too. If if there's years where we got two one loss teams or something at the top of college football, then then yeah, if there's some a couple three loss teams could get in. Absolutely. Well, speaking of those teams that might get in here, I thought this would be a fun exercise. So we, we're going to do the Big Ten next time and we'll do the SEC this time, because when I talked about like how many get in and you look at the final third, the final CFP rankings, this, that and the other, and you think like they won't be a playoff team. It's like actually teams that you never would have thought in the SEC would be, quote unquote, a playoff team, national title contender. The door is going to be open because they're going to have a whole lot more talent. We already see at the top of where the talent's going. Um over the last couple of recruiting cycles, especially in the portal. Um, a lot of these SEC schools have cleaned up, especially Mizzou, Kentucky, um, Old Miss, obviously. Like, it's just, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see which one of these teams that have never been able to break through in years past are going to make it in in 2024 because there's going to be some surprises. I don't know how many will end up making the surprise run to the CFP, but you're going to have some surprise SEC teams in the big dance and have an opportunity to win several games because I think they'll have a talent advantage at least early on um, in the playoff. But first one here talking about the the hypothetical 12 team playoff, like 10 different sec teams would have made that at at some point. And that's not including Oklahoma and Texas. So 12 of the 16 would have, have at least one top 12 finish over the last decade. 
So if you're an SEC fan right now, if you're in the boat, that's why it's just so important to be in the boat of these two power two conferences is you're going to have an opportunity um, and you're going to have an opportunity to play for it all. Like it'll be hard to win if you're Mississippi State or whatever, but like you're going to make the big dance. You're going to be involved in the party. You're going to have a seat at the table at least every now and then um, when you have a special quarterback and this, that and the other. But um, first up, the Tennessee Volunteers, you knew I was going to start here because we're not going to have Georgia on here. We're not going to have Texas. We're not going to have Bama because that's not a surprise. But we're doing oh, our SEC. Bama, Bama's going to be in a different tax bracket next year, sir. I think they're uh, they're they're going to turn into this more bubble team. Like, can things go right and they get into the playoff? They're no longer a juggernaut. Well, let's just see. I want to see it on paper. I want to see it actually <laughs> happen first. I need to see it with my eyes. I need to see eight and four, nine and three with my with my eyes before I'm just ready to just throw Bama in with the underdogs here. Um, First I, up, I, I, we saw eight and four last year. You said you were right about your prediction. Like right? <laughs> that was an eight and four team if I've ever seen one. Um, uh, why or why not? You knew I was going to start with the Tennessee Volunteers. Why, in your estimation, Matt Green, do you think that they have a realistic shot as being an SEC surprise CFP team? And why do you hesitate to throwing the Tennessee Volunteers in this year? Um, well, if we start with with the why. I mean, if you're telling me why did Tennessee make the playoff uh, at the end of the season, you're going forward in time. Mm. I think the reason they would have made the playoff is is one thing, and it's that Nico is a superstar. Like, I don't think there's any, like, beating around the bush. Like, I don't think Nico can come around and be a game manager and, and this team's going to play for anything. Like, you look at their schedule a year ago, like, you got blown out by Missouri, blown out by Georgia, and the Florida game... Maybe not a blowout, but kind of kind of kind of dominated by Florida too. Like what changes in 2024 from 2023, right? Like they you lost a lot from that defense. Tennessee's definitely brought some in the portal, but you look at like what makes them better. Like they might be better than Alabama next year because like we don't really know what they're gonna be exactly. But I just I look at Tennessee and if Nico is a superstar, like that's what it's gonna take to to get them to that level. Uh, and even in like as good as he can be, like can he be better than like we're, we know he can be better than Hendon Hooker, right? Like theoretically, mm. but can he really produce better? Can Tennessee's offense be better than it was in 2021? 20, am I getting my 2022? Can it be better than 2022? Yeah, can it get better than that? I think if you I, have that offense with a competent defense, like maybe like yet last year's defense, that team could be a little bit better. So there's a balance that can Tennessee can be better than that 2022 team, but it's it's hard to imagine as good as Nico can be, it's hard to imagine that offense producing better than Hendon Hooker and that 2022 team did. Well, here's something else that you're going to folks are going to have to get used to. 2022 is the end of the numbers that you saw, uh, like the Tennessee average, I think 46 points a game. What didn't change with uh, this year's new running clock was the time of the game. The time of the game itself didn't really take a hit because the ads were there and everything else. But what did was the number of plays. So scoring was down across the, the league this year. So I don't think Tennessee will ever score like they did two years ago ever again. But I do think... There's going to be a middle ground because Tennessee was number one in the in college football and scoring in 2022, 2021. They are number seven. Part of that was they just no one knew what to do with Tennessee's offense the first two years. Like it was just this new thing that Heupel was able to just feast on a lot of 
teams that just weren't prepared for what Heupel was throwing at them those first two years. And also you had an NFL quarterback, uh, you had NFL receivers, you had NFL starting right tackle. You had a lot of NFL dudes that um, really popped for Heupel and uh, it all came together in a great way. And those are few and far between. It's really hard to be the best offense in college football year over year. But I don't think they have to be number one in the country or even number seven in scoring to make the playoff. I think they have to be better than 35th, which is where they were this past year, which is one of the I mean, this was the most difficult. I mean, offense, it was just the, one of the most difficult seasons for hypo offensively that he we've ever seen from him. So I think it's hard for me to see even going eight and four with a really, really up and down season, um, really tough, uh, just offensive, just ebbs and flows to the year. Um, you had Alabama on the ropes at the half and that one hurt. The Florida game was really the only tough loss though. When you really think about it, like Mizzou turned out to be a great team and that's not a tough loss on the road. Yeah. You got boat race, but like Mizzou was one of the three best teams in the sec this past year. So they were legit. They were a double digit win team. Like they were, they were really good. That's not a bad loss. Georgia, obviously not a bad loss. Like you would have preferred it to be closer, but it's not a bad loss. They they were arguably the second best team in the country. Right. That's yeah. fine. The Florida loss was the one that like mm, that that one hurt. But the other three, yeah. that's fine. And I think Tennessee fans would have been by and large. And I think they were OK with eight and four this past year, because I think a lot of people saw like the, the drop off from Hendon and to what you lost to the draft and this and the other that it was going to be a step back um, to th- this year. But. You see the pop, 35 points. Uh, the defense pops against Iowa. I understand it's Iowa's offense, but James Pierce is a top 10 pick. He might be a number one overall pick after this uh, upcoming year just because of his talent on the edge. Like That's a big thing. Tennessee should have a great pass rush this year. You're getting in five-star Jordan Ross, who's going to rotate Caleb Herring, four-star number one player out of Tennessee this past year. He sat and learned. He's going to be bigger and ready to rotate. So I think Tennessee is going to be loaded rotating at the Leo spot, I think they're going to be loaded at the defensive line spot. I think they're going to be a whole lot more athletic at corner. Um, I think the offensive line, you get Cooper back, you get Sprags back at right guard, you get the five-star offensive tackle transfer from LSU, Lance Hurd, starting left tackle. You have John Campbell who'll move over to right. We we'll go, we're out. going through the whole starting lineup here. We no, no, no. What I'm saying is like you need these little things from the outside can make or break a season. So like Nico getting an, a veteran offensive line and you being able to plug in a five-star offensive tackle on his blind side, that's huge because it was going to be Gerald Mincy a few weeks ago. So for them to upgrade that spot, to me, it just, the receivers will most are mostly back. You get in Chris Brazel, who had a really successful season at Tulane. To me, all of this screams improvement. Like they are going to be, they're not going to be a 35th best team and scoring offense again. They're going to be somewhere in the top 10 to 15. I don't know where, but I would bet on them being somewhere in there. And I think the defense is going to be better. I think they're still going to be really good at rushing the, uh, rushing the passer, passer, which will help the secondary. And I just, you got eight and four last year and it was, it, it was tough week over week. I just don't see a way, like you said, Nico's not going to be a game manager. Nico, he has a lot of big Bryce Young tendencies already. He's got amazing pocket awareness. Like he's, it, it seems like things are going to go pretty well there. And if they go pretty well, he's a first year starter. Sure. But if he things go reasonably well, I don't see, I see the floor being like nine and three. 
for this team and nine and three, 10 and two, you're going to be in the playoff conversation. And also the schedule is really nice. The schedule for Tennessee this year is very nice. That's one thing I was going to say, especially the home schedule. Like I think it's reasonable that this team could go undefeated at home. And they had lost one in two years before Georgia last year. You have Alabama, Florida, Kentucky, and Mississippi State all at home. It's like it's not the, a cakewalk by any means, but it, Alabama feels very gettable in 2024. Mm. So you do have to go on the road at Georgia, at Oklahoma, um, at at Arkansas. So it's not going to be easy. But you know, out of con- I don't think there's anyone out of conference that's going to beat this Tennessee team. Like NC State's the only like power power four team if we're doing that right. Um, so you know. They're definitely, um, I, th- I think they can safely say that they're a 12-team playoff contender going into the next year. I like it. Um, why or why not? This one might raise some eyebrows. Kentucky are a dark horse contender to make the CFP in 2024 for you, Matt Green. Um, why, why Kentucky is, is because I think they have, a veteran team and mm. you know maybe Vandergriff he is a former five-star comes in and like is a baller but I mean I can't give you too many reasons to be confident about Kentucky like I think with some of the transfers they've gotten like their their floor is higher so I think as a Kentucky fan you can reasonably ex- like expect an eight-win season or so but I just I don't see this team winning anything you know, of, of value, like unless Vandergriff somehow becomes a star, like Ray Davis was basically their offense last year. So, you know, we've seen Kentucky be able to replace running backs and still kind of maintain their identity of running the football, but you know, it's going to be tough to replace a guy like that. who was first team all sec. So I, um, I look at their road schedule only Mississippi state. I think Mississippi state has clearly the toughest road schedule in the sec next year, but Kentucky, I think is a close second. They go at Florida, at Ole Miss, at Tennessee, and at Texas. Like, that's just brutal. And, and on top of having Georgia and Auburn and South Carolina at home, like, it's the schedule is doing Kentucky no favors next year. Can I flip that, though? Yeah. I think the schedule actually helps them in that regard because what you just laid out, those are tough. Like, they're going to they're gonna be dogs in all four of those. Yeah, actually, beat these I teams. I don't think they'll be dogs, actually, against Florida, but we'll see um they've had a lot of success against florida of late so i just uh i don't know i would not be as worried about uh, florida if i'm a kentucky fan right now but But that's the easiest of the sec road games like Ole miss Miss, tennessee and texas could be three of the four best teams in the sec next year but that's my point you kind of want those to be on the road because then you don't you want the toss-up games at home you the road games you were going to lose to Tennessee. You also anyway. Georgia at home, so there is Georgia that. hurts. Like that's the one where like Georgia, you would rather get that on the road, and probably you would rather get probably Old Miss or Texas at home and see what you could do. But getting South Carolina at home, getting Auburn at home, I think is sneaky important. Getting Louisville at home this year is sneaky important. But you look at the early schedule. I mean, this is what they do really well. They they get off to these Every great year. starts. But they get Southern Miss at home, South Carolina, Georgia early. This is like the earliest they played Georgia in a long time, right? Yeah, I can't ever remember uh, playing Kentucky in September. But look, Vandy, like the they they're going to be at eight and four ish. And then if Brock Vandergrift, because like you said, we don't know what Brock Vandergrift's going to be. Matt Green, former five star, he could be electric. You have Liam Cohen back year two here. You bring in uh, your 
elite offensive line coach who left for Alabama a couple years ago. Alabama's staff falls apart. Guess what? He's back. So you get a win there. I think the offensive line will be better. They have talent, the receiver spot. We know they're going to be good defense. You get uh, James Dumas Johnson over there and the linebacker unit. I think they'll be solid on defense. Kentucky can flirt with nine and three next year and nine and three like we said it's not a guarantee but i do think they're a dark horse and a lot of it will come down to some of those 50 50 games but also what's brock we don't know what brock is brock could be a very high like the most talented kentucky quarterback we've seen in a long time like he has that upside we have no idea what to make of him yet but we've seen good quarterback play at kentucky in the past we've seen liam cohen do a good job and we know Kentucky's defense is going to be pretty solid. And Mark Stoops has a high floor there. So I don't know. I think Kentucky, I wouldn't bet on it, but I do think they will be in play late in the year. I definitely wouldn't bet on it. Vandegrift is definitely that X factor, especially because he's got like he's a legit dual threat. So mm. I mean, when a when a quarterback can can run and you know that be part of the offense, we've seen how teams can just be tough to to stop. So I like you said, I wouldn't bet on it, but but I think I think you could reasonably expect this team to go no worse than eight and four. Yeah, I could see it. They did went seven and five this year, and it was a rough, rough season for Kentucky, and they still went seven and five. Um, why or why not? The Florida Gators. You know what's funny for me, Macarine, on my list here of our seven SEC schools who will be dark horses, I think Florida's the hardest for me to make the case for. Was it for you? Yeah, when um, trying to figure out the reasons why Florida would be a uh, a a contender in the SEC and for the college football playoff, I I I stopped short of like a meteor or something like exploding uh, the rest of the SEC or something. I don't know. Florida has no shot, <laughs> in, in my opinion, to to be a playoff contender this year. Like, if if Billy Napier makes it to twenty twenty five. Like this season was a success, honestly. Like this schedule is just brutal. Like it's all about the schedule. Like I hate to make everything about the schedule, but it's like they've they've lost. They lost Princely, however you pronounce his last mm. name, to, to Ole Miss, Ole Miss. Mm. ETN to Georgia. Like you're losing these direct these players directly to your competition. Like that's just absolutely just gut-wrenching you know like that's just that's demoralizing for the entire program and so i you look they they play 11 teams if we're counting the power four they play 11 power four teams next year only lsu georgia and missouri they're the only other teams in the sec that play 10 hmm. everyone else in the sec is playing at most nine power uh power four teams next year so you just look at florida's schedule like even the out of conference games, they they don't have any any they have one automatic win basically on the schedule going into next year. So, and we've seen crazy things happen uh, with Georgia Southern and, and others when teams are down. So I don't know. I I just it's hard for me to find anything about Florida that that could think they could even. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. 
Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Have a winning record next year. I do love that they open Miami. Like, that slaps. Love that we're doing that at the beginning of the year. <laughs> like, that is fantastic. And now Cam Ward's in the fold. I can't wait for Miami, Florida to open the year. But like you said, there's no one who has a worse schedule in college football than Florida. They went 5-7 and seven last year. You're at Florida State. You get Ole Miss at home. You get LSU at home. But like this, can I read this gauntlet from October 12th on for you, Matt Green? Yeah. At Tennessee, Kentucky at home, you get a bye. Guess who's waiting? Georgia and the cocktail party. Then you go to Texas the week after Georgia. Georgia and Texas are probably going to be the two best teams in the SEC next year. LSU at home after that. Ole Miss after that. At FSU. That is, I mean, you're looking at, what, seven straight top 15 teams? Who else is dealing with that? That's a bonkers, bonkers schedule. Final five of Georgia, Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, Florida State. Like those could be five top 10 teams next season. Like Like, five playoff teams. Like when, yeah, when they are playing them, that's going to be brutal. But is there any Graham Mertz optimism for you? Is there any like the offense figures it out? Year two Graham Mertz. He completes a high percentage of his passes, 70%. Um, there is some wide receiver talent. Yeah, they lose Trevor Etienne to Georgia, but like Austin Armstrong whiz for uh, a whiz higher. Uh, it was kind of a sneaky big one. He's super young. Like they were 101st, 101st in sacks last year, which is wild. Um, so they didn't get to the quarterback and you lose, as you talked about, uh, a, a good edge guy uh, to Ole Miss. But like, I mean, is it hopeless? Like, is there is there a chance that like Florida really does? Like, what what do you point to of like, Mm, this was something I saw last year that would give me, if I'm a Florida fan, a little bit of optimism that Graham and this <laughs> offense could be good enough to be an eight and four, nine and three type team. To be honest, I think Graham Mertz's performance last year is like why you should be concerned mm. because Graham Mertz was good last year. So it's like Graham Mertz can be exactly as good as he was a year ago. And this team could be awful. Like, I just, I don't think quarterback was the problem last year. Like, Mertz isn't great. You can get a lot better than Mertz. But he was fine, and he kind of kept things on schedule. But he just doesn't seem to impact winning. Like, I, it's hard to explain. Like, you you look at the score, and, like, Florida's getting dominated, and you look at Graham Mertz's stats by the end of the game, you're like, y'all, like, completed, like, 68% of his passes. Like, Threw for 275 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Like he didn't throw a lot of picks. Like three all stats, last year. His stats look pretty good, but it's like you just you're never really worried about their offense. There's something about it just doesn't scare you. So I kind of expect Graham Mertz to be to look up at the end of the season and have an argument for being the fifth or sixth best quarterback in the conference and be like, yeah, he's pretty good. And this team could still just be four and eight and just be wanting to fire Billy Napier. I could see that too. Um, next up here, why or why not South Carolina is in the CFP dark horse conversation by the end of 2024, Matt Green? 
I think you're going to have to lead this, sir, because I just I cannot find any reason how South Carolina like like they don't have a crazy tough non-conference schedule like in Clemson's, you know, they're kind of uh, regressing. So maybe if Clemson is really bad again next year, that's not a, a super difficult game at, at the end of the season. But I mean, just looking at the schedule, LSU at home, like Alabama and Tuscaloosa, like they don't have to play Georgia next year. But I don't know. I just, it's hard to be optimistic right now with how every time they get a good player, it just seems to get poached by somebody else. They just feel like a, a stepping stone program right now. I'm concerned about the drop off from Rattler to the next QB. Um, he's a three star kid. I, yeah, you had the rankings of the quarterbacks whatever that was like a week or so ago. Mm. I don't know his name right now off the top of my head. Um, I'm going to pull it up. It <laughs> is um, what, Lenora Sellers uh, is his name. And look, they have talent. It's not like they haven't had talent with uh, Leggett, who just they could not get there. Juice Wells, as uh, you alluded to, he's gone. Jaheim Bell, you lose the previous offseason. Leggett's going pro, right? Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. Um, Spencer Rattler's gone. I don't, it's tough, man. Cause like you said, the schedule doesn't really jump off and scare you a little bit. Like you get Mizzou at home, which will be good. Um, you get Texas A&M at home for Texas, uh, for homecoming. That's good. I mean, you got to go to Bama and Oklahoma, but you probably weren't winning either of those games. Anyway, you get Old Miss at home, which might be a sneaky big one. You get LSU at home. Like this looks like a seven and five ish schedule to me off the top. But I also just don't know what this offense is going to look like. I okay? get they had real problems. You, I don't even think you said AM and they've never beaten AM since yeah. they joined the SEC. So I don't know. I think they're it's tough. Like is Beamer, what does Beamer have to go? Because maybe or we look at that schedule and you're just kind of you just feel bad because I just I don't know many coaches that <laughs> I mean it's just it feel you just feel bad because that is a horrific schedule especially those last seven games for napier at florida but like for beamer what does he have to do what are the expectations at south carolina because i feel like seven and five should be the the goal here with this schedule and working a new quarterback and this kind of feels like a gap year for for south carolina but i think seven and five is doable i think it's a better schedule than what they had this past year it it might be better i mean there's still a, a lot of uh a lot of landmines on that schedule. Like I, they don't have Georgia on that, but I how mean, weird is that going to be for you? Um, it's, it is weird not to play South Carolina. It's not, it's probably gonna be weirder for South Carolina fans. Cause I think Georgia was kind of that, that one game they could count on a year that like they'd be on national television and like, it'd be a big environment. Like it felt like Georgia was South Carolina's kind of, not Super Bowl, not trying to like clown them or anything, but it kind of felt like that was South Carolina's biggest rival in the conference. Well, but, it's also weird that they got into it. Like, obviously, they beat Kirby early on. Like, last year was really close at the half. And for whatever reason, South Carolina and Georgia have had some really fun, weird, close games. So it just, it it's not a quote-unquote rivalry, but it feels like if you were going to, if we do the three permanent rivals are really the only ones though like it was a fun rivalry with mark Richt and like spurrier like those mm. were games were crazy but outside of the upset uh in 2019 and then yeah this past year for the most part georgia's just murdered south carolina since kirby's gotten there so i think that rivalry's kind of fallen off a little bit because south carolina just doesn't really compete with georgia like they once did um mm. but but 
just looking at, I just don't, I don't see seven and five. Like, I think, I think they're good. I think it's a success to go to a bowl game next year. Hmm. I don't know how you evaluate Shane Beamer, to be honest. Like, because when Shane Beamer arrived, South Carolina wasn't a stepping stone program. Like, they weren't some perennial contender, but they were like someone who had some hope, right? And this whole transfer portal era has kind of turned them into a stepping stone program. And it, I don't feel like that's Shane Beamer's fault. Like, he's recruiting good players. You know, you got Jordan Birch going somewhere else. You got Marshawn Lloyd going somewhere else. You got uh, blanking on Jaheim Bell go, go somewhere else. It's like Juice Wells now going to Ole Miss next year. Like, I just don't know how a program like South Carolina, who whose program has to be built on finding diamonds in the rough. Like, I just don't know how they can sustain that if other teams can just poach those diamonds they find. Absolutely. Um, Ole Miss. I think they have the best of this surprise SEC playoff team. So I think it's it's not a surprise to you and I when we keep up with this every day. But I think to the casual SEC fan, they are going to be surprised to see Ole Miss be a college football playoff team and maybe have a realistic shot of making a deep run, uh, depending on how things unfold here. But Macarine, why and why not for Ole Miss making the college football playoff in 2024? Well... This is their year, honestly. Mm. Like, I don't know how many times things are going to align as well as they're going to align in 2024 for Ole Miss. Like, we know this team was never, in the in the era of the SEC East and SEC West existing, Ole Miss never made the SEC championship. So maybe getting rid of the divisions, they can find a way to get in there somehow. But I think with Alabama being in transition, like, that's a, a golden opportunity for, for Ole Miss to be, and I don't think they play them this year either. Um, so that's one of the teams that Lane Kiffin hasn't been able to get past. But um, I just look at Ole Miss, like they what they've done in the portal is, is the best in the SEC. Like they've got 17 guys in the portal. Walter Nolan, like that, that's a huge potential difference maker. They have to be better on defense than they were a year ago. Like I think that's what's holding them back. Because, I mean, you look at who they lost to. They got you know, boat raced uh, by Georgia at home. And then they had a pretty close game with Alabama that Alabama was able to pull away uh, in the end. And then that's it, you know? So without having Alabama on the schedule next year, like that's one loss that's off there. And then Georgia is still on the schedule, but they're coming to, to Oxford next year. So Ole Miss, it feels like everything's aligning for them. Jackson Dart, like he's not a superstar, but you could argue that he's, a top three quarterback in the sec coming into next year, top four. Um, so I think they have a lot. You look at what they've been like Jevin Sneed 2009. That was the last time they were preseason top 10. Like hmm. this, is, they're not going to be a surprise. Like right now they, like you're saying it might be a surprise to a casual sec fan to see it, but they're going to be preseason top 10. Like th this is going to be the most hype we've seen around Ole Miss in the preseason maybe maybe ever like th this is going to be pretty big time like they were number they were top 10 every year from 1958 to 1964 they're preseason top 10 every year they've been set in the last 50 years they've been preseason top 10 once and that wow Kevin Sneed year was the only one it's a good stat I got you but I, yeah I think they're gonna have hype around them next year and I think it might be warranted so you're buying the Kool-Aid. Like, do you think 
I'm buying can, in terms of like this is the year it has to happen. Maybe more mm-hmm. like I'm buying Penn State 2023. That mm-hmm. like it has to happen this year. Not necessarily saying it will happen this year. I was saying it would happen with Penn State, to be clear. But um, I'm not as high on Ole Miss in 2024. They've obviously put a lot in. Uh, that losing Quitch on Judkins, I'm curious how much that hits him. Like that's a late big loss because he's just been such an important piece uh, to them uh, for the last two years. So that there's going to be a change. But it also means, hey, Jackson Dart, like time is now. So yeah, this is going to be a big year for Jackson Dart because ultimately Judkins is out of the fold. So you're going to have talented guys. You get Juice Wells in from South Carolina. You are going to have to pass anyway. Like Jackson Dart, for them to be a real CFP contender, Dart's going to have to take the step. Like he's going to have to be a Heisman type guy. And I'm very curious because he has the talent. I am very curious if Lane Kiffin with year three for Dart, if he breaks through. Like this is such a big year. I think he's had the training wheels on for a little while now, and you've had this safety net in Gwinshaw Judkins that's been so good that I'm just like, you know, I'm very, very curious what happens here. You get Walter Nolan, the best player in the portal. He's going to wreak havoc on the defensive line for Ole Miss. I think the defense is going to be good, um, especially getting after the quarterback. But the 12, I just, with 12 teams, you don't the, the playoff contender conversation isn't necessarily the same. Like, I don't think he has to be mm-hmm. a Heisman finalist for them to be top 12. Well, to make a deep run, I guess yeah. I should qualify. If they want to make a Final Four or even win a national title, Jackson Dart's got to be a Heisman finalist. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. And I'm curious. Like, I don't know. Like, do, would it blow your mind if Jackson Dart's one of the best five players in college football next year? I guess it would not blow my mind, but I would not predict it to happen. Like, it would, su- it would surprise me a little bit if he actually took that step because I think he's got a ceiling. I think he's just a really good player. And I think his ability to use his legs kind of, you know, adds that dimension to their offense. Um, But this has been a running team. Like when they've been at their best, like under Lane Kiffin, like they're a run first team. So, you know, losing a Quinshawn Junkins, like we'll see if they're able to replace that, that production, because I think that's, that's a pretty big blow for Ole Miss, even though they have a lot going for them. uh, That's, you know, lining up for next year. I mean, they were sneaky top 20 in passing last year. They were 19th uh, in passing offense this past year. Um, Is that right? That would be an old Miss. Yeah, 65% completion percentage. You need to get that up a little bit. Uh, 9.4 yards per attempt. That's high. So that's good. One of the best. Um, 26 TDs, six picks, uh, 162.87 QB rating. And he threw the ball 30 times a game. It didn't feel like old Miss threw the ball 30 times a game. No, it still feels like they like running is their identity, but but mm. he uh he obviously like you're saying, he 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 still had a pretty good year last year. Um let's go next, Mac Green, to the final two here. Why maybe the most divisive here on this very program, and they're gonna be very interesting to follow this year. Why and why not for Auburn, sir, making the college football playoff in year two for Hugh Freeze? Because everyone might be like, Auburn, year two? But Tennessee, right there, year two for Hypo. We've talked about on this podcast how big year two is. Make the case for and against Auburn making a year two leap for Hugh Freeze. It's just about the year two magic as far as I'm concerned. Like if there's just something unforeseen, like they just take a step that we're just not prepared for, I feel like that's what's going to take. Because even in 2021, like Tennessee was fun. Like they weren't 
they weren't a good team, but they were a team that scored some points. Like they showed some signs to that 2022 run. Like Auburn, it wasn't just dead. Like, I mean, that New Mexico State game, like it's hard to explain that one. But uh, they obviously almost beat Alabama there at the end. They were improving. It's hard to say they're improving and, and it just ignore that getting shellacked by New Mexico State uh, down the stretch of the season. But I just, I'm not a believer in Peyton Thorne at all. I am a believer in mm. Hugh Freeze and his offense. And so that's the one thing that makes me like, okay, Hugh Freeze knows something I don't know, that he didn't need to get a quarterback in the portal. Like maybe, maybe Peyton Thorne, a, a, another year in Hugh Freeze's offense takes a step. But I just, it's hard to be too confident about like what they're going to be next year. You would have felt good if Caden Salter made the jump and followed Hugh to Auburn, right? Like if he doesn't go back to Liberty, you're feeling a little bit better. Like maybe there is some Peyton Thorne magic, but it was, it was tough um from what we saw this past year but he was also a spring portal guy and spring portal uh jumps from guys it's just bad because they don't have as much time like you just don't you're just kind of you you really need the spring like if that's why the portal is not nearly as um flooded in the spring it's just guys are so far behind like it's really hard to work yourself into the rotation if you transfer in the spring because you're just months behind the playbook months behind other guys who've been working out with the team and coaches for four or five months prior so um that was he was already behind the eight ball in that transfers, you're saying this guys who transferred after spring right. no spring transfers like the spring ones like i'm talking like the guys May, that missed the, spring practice because, yes. yeah yeah i got you now yeah peyton thor missed spring practice so maybe there's a case that peyton thor would be a whole lot more comfortable he ran the ball well for auburn maybe he gets a little bit better and they're spicy like they almost beat bama they should have beat bama um, had a good class, so that you're gonna have a lot of talented freshmen here uh, coming in. You uh, were one of the best transfer uh, teams here um, overall. You lose Robbie Ashford to <laughs> South Carolina. We'll see what he does there, but you know you get some you get some talent uh, coming in. Uh, new coordinators uh, for Auburn on both sides of the ball. I want to say because uh, you, I mean, Cadillac is out. Um, you have. Uh, Etheridge is out. You have Montgomery's out. You have um, the Auburn coaching staff is kind of in a weird state of flux, but also Hugh Freeze, just generally speaking, wins a lot of football games and he's 80 and 54 overall. Um, I don't know. I'm very curious because Derek Nix comes back into the fold. He's the new OC slash running backs coach. Charles Kelly, new co-defensive coordinator. Do you know what Charles Kelly was doing last year, Matt Green? What's that? He was the defensive coordinator at Colorado. And before that, mm -hmm. he was at Alabama. So he has a reputation, good recruiter, um, good defensive mind. So I think they might have upgraded there. And Derek Nix, we'll see how he does uh, coming in as the new OC. But Hugh Freeze, I believe, will still be calling plays. But that was a big one. Like Derek Nix was an Ole Miss guy. He was at Ole Miss for the previous 16 years. Um, so we'll see uh, how he fits on this staff uh, at Auburn. But I don't know Auburn's schedule. What does it look like to you? Does it look like a possibility of a nine and three type jump for them? Well, Auburn is one of the teams. I think that's the biggest beneficiary of getting rid of the East and West divisions. Like they hmm. obviously still have Georgia and Alabama on the schedule, but their schedule was an sec West gauntlet like every year, like seeing like seeing Missouri and Kentucky and Vanderbilt on their schedule, they're they're accepting that with open arms. Like because I think Auburn's 
this is probably going to be one of the weaker schedule. Like a lot of teams are seeing their strongest schedule in 2024 they've seen in years. Like Auburn is seeing one of their weaker conference schedules that they've seen in years. So I think that that aspect does benefit them. Like on the road, you got Missouri, Kentucky, Georgia, and Alabama. Georgia and Alabama are obviously big, but like like we've said about Alabama, like we don't really know what to expect from them next year. And with what Auburn did against them last year was obviously in Jordan Hare. So you never know what's going to happen uh, on the road. But I mean, there's there's definitely reasons for optimism and reasons for Auburn to think they can be better than Alabama next year. No, I I don't disagree. I mean, you get Oklahoma at home. That's good. You get Arkansas at home. I mean, you don't go to Cal this time for a weird one. They come to your place. New Mexico comes to your place. Got to go to Mizzou. That'll be extremely tough. At Kentucky, will be tough. Vanderbilt at home. Yule Monroe at home. Texas A&M at home is a big one because that's a coin flip game. And we'll see what uh, Bama looks like. But you know you'll be in it. I mean, 8-4, and 9-3, and three, that's a possibility. It, a lot of it just depends on, I mean, how these new coordinators work with Kelly. And then Ken Austin comes in as a QB coach who was – uh, Hugh Freeze, uh, offensive coordinator and QB coach at Liberty. He was an analyst this past year. He's like fourth all time at, at Old Miss in quarterback records. So behind Bo Wallace and a couple other ones. So um, that should be an interesting upgrade because Liberty obviously had a lot of success with him and Hugh Freeze years ago. But I don't know cool. the year two bump, man. We've talked about in this program. It's real. Like That's people true. are discounting an Auburn bump. What's interesting I don't know. is that like Auburn was built on transfers. Like like Matthew McConaughey, like back before it was cool. Auburn was getting transfers before everyone was doing it. So it's like now you look at this class, like they're 15th at a 16th, according to the 24-7 transfer portal rankings. Like only Georgia and LSU have taken less players in the portal than Auburn uh, so far in the SEC this year. So Auburn was one of those teams that felt like they should be doing what Ole Miss is doing right now. And they're, they're starting to recruit better. That's the other thing, too, is some of these big-time freshmen that are, that are coming in this year uh, at wide receiver, like those dudes could be day-one difference makers, and that could mm. really take Auburn to the next level. But I, um, it's interesting that they're a team that's not utilizing the portal, I think, as much as a lot of people anticipated. And well, like you said. They're, too, and they just, they're just whiffing on some of the guys they wanted. I think that's possible. Um, but, you know. We'll see. I think they'll be interesting. Cam Coleman coming in, big receiver win, five-star wide receiver, Maris Williams, five-star edge. Um, Walker White, quarterback of the future, four-star quarterback. Um, so we'll see that. And then the flip, Marcus Riddick uh, from Georgia a long time ago, right? Yeah, he was a Georgia commit. So um, they're getting town in the building, and I just I think they're they're loading up. I just I think the I would buy some Auburn stock right now. I think they're they're coming back. I think that's uh, fair. I think twenty twenty four might be a little early for a playoff uh, conversation, mm. but but yeah, I think they're they're trending in the right direction. Uh, final one here, Matt Green, the one that I picked to win it all this past year, mm. Texas A and M. Why or why not will Mike Elko make the college football playoff in year one at Texas A and M, sir? Um, why not? Because it's Texas A&M and they just don't do that sort of thing. But I don't know. And in terms of A&M, they're like the hardest team to read, I think, in the entire conference, because it's like there Hmm. is talent there, but a lot of it transferred out with Jimbo and all the just craziness. That's the toxicity that just kind of seemed to be around their program. So like just getting a new voice in there, getting a new head coach, like a lot of that, you know, maybe everyone's steering in the right direction or rowing in the same direction. Like 
that you can start to see how much talent they really have. But, you know, it's hard with, with all these with how much transition there is when a new head coach comes in uh, to know how, just how much talent really is at A&M, right? Are they ready to actually compete for the SEC in year one? Like probably not. So it, it's, it's hard for me to know e- exactly what to expect from this program. But you get Connor Wigman back, who I think is going to be really good. Still you get Colin Klein, good offensive coordinator hire. You pull from Kansas state. I think the offense will be good. I think Elko is going to have that defense good. I mean, the defense was great this past year. So you keep a lot of those guys. You lose Walter Nolan and some some key guys there. But like Mike Elko is going to have a good defense. Yeah. Like we know College Station and what Mike Elko brings immediately is a solid defense. And Colin Klein was a good hire. I think this offense is still going to be pretty solid. You have five-star Ruben Owens uh, in the fold at running back. You have a good offensive line. I think they're going to be uh, – they return everyone on the offensive line except for Layden Robinson. So that's huge. You get a lot of the offensive line back. Um, yeah, you lose uh, Rakes and Nolan and McKinley Jackson going in the NFL, but like they're gonna be good. Um, they're <laughs> this team. I think will be will be pretty solid on uh, on that front. And I also just think the receiver the receiver room will be good because um, you'll have Noah Thomas. You'll still have Moose Muhammad, who we like. Ruben Owens at running back. Like I said, Le'Veon Moss. Like. You just look at the room and the amount of talent still there. I think people just jump at the big names, but you look at it, you're like, there's still a lot of blue chippers all around this AM roster. And Mike Elko is just a really good coach. And he had Duke right there on the precipice early on. Wegman has Heisman esque potential still in College Station. I could see it. I could see a nine and three, eight and four type year one for, for Elko. I don't think they're going to make the playoff right away, but. Elko was a good hire and they have they still have a lot of talent and I still would buy some some AM stock over the next couple of years. What say you, Matt Green? Yeah, I'm with you there. Evan Stewart, another one, a, a big one that they lost uh in the portal. But I don't know. I just have you learned nothing, Chase Thomas? Like, are we just gonna buy AM stock every offseason? And at some point, this is just it's it's a losing bet, right? Mm. RC Slocum interim AD. Let's get the gang back together. They're going to be all right. Is that right? It's going to be all right. Um, The schedule isn't like the worst in the SEC. Like on the road, you got South Carolina, Mississippi State, Florida, and Auburn. Like we know those are some tough stadiums to go in, but I don't, we don't know exactly how good all of those teams are going to be next year. Um, But Arkansas, LSU, Missouri, and Texas at home. Like I think uh, it's not the worst, you know, but. I, I just don't know what to expect from them. Like they they do feel like a team that's one of the quicker fixes in terms of uh, first year head coaches in college football. Also, great game right away. Right, guess what they get? They get Riley Leonard and Notre Dame at home. That's who he just coached. Oh, like, you're right. I was looking at the schedule. Like I feel like that game went under the radar. Like mm-hmm. Notre Dame. Uh, that's week one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gonna be a good one. I mean, I think they probably win that game. Like out of the gate, I mean, Riley Leonard playing against a coach who knows him very well coming into College Station, one of the toughest places to play. I don't know. I feel pretty good there. Man, I didn't I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I um, still Notre Dame. Notre Dame is going to be favored in that game. I would imagine they'll be top preseason top 15 or so. Right. Hell, who knows with yeah. with preseason rankings, A&M might be preseason ranked. I think Notre Dame's going to be preseason top 10. Yeah, they might be. So A&M, I don't know how, I don't know. What's the, 
I'd love to see the over under win total right now. It can't be much more than yeah. like seven and a half. I would pound the seven and a half over for AM right now. I don't know. I think uh I think seven wins year one for for Mike Elko. I think that's probably to be expected. But you know what else will be really nice? Texas to end their year. Like Texas yeah. back on the schedule. Texas Texas AM is just gonna be a delight. Like I'm very, very glad that that's happening this fall. Like that's going to just be really and it's, nice. It is on Saturday, right? Do you have the schedule mm. in front of you? Cause we yeah, talked it's, about, it's, they did play it on Friday a few times. Yeah. It's on Saturday, um, November 30th. And see, that's going to be uh, ESPN Fowler and Herb streets. First opportunity to ever do the iron bowl. Are they going to pass up the iron bowl and go to go to Texas, Texas A&M? Probably just depends on how the seasons are going for both of them. Yeah. I mean, you're probably right. But yeah, I mean, they'll have their opportunities to do the Iron Bowl. God, it's going to be weird. ESPN, ABC games for all ten, for all SEC. No CBS. It's going to be weird. It it really is. It, this, the production of the CBS games, it was just, there's something special about it. Even if you wanted to talk uh, shit about Gary Danielson, like so many SEC fans love to do, because he hates every single team uh, in the SEC. Um, he always hates your team. He's against them every mm. time um but yeah it's gonna be weird but you know th- it, this is it this is what this is where we are now absolutely well that was fun matt green what do you think yeah it's good stuff man um well we'll do big 10 next and we'll continue doing different stuff uh during this off season college football off season here because there's all kinds of content and things we could talk about on this very show each and every week um but matt green thank you as always my friend and uh, i'll talk to you very soon yes sir nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 